Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Savior Jesus Christ, who loves us and who gave himself to be our Savior, to rescue us from our sins, dear Christian friends. Today we wrap up our series called Free, and we've been looking at, at this uh, series of different things that, that we believe, right? And, and we've been looking at it because sometimes we get caught up in believing things without even realizing it. Sometimes things that aren't even true. We believe this to be true or we believe that to be true. And and if you remember the overarching statement, the big idea for this series is that our beliefs, what we believe about someone or something, it impacts the way we think and the way we act. And that's especially true and especially dangerous, I should say, when it comes to believing things that are simply not true. Because then we become trapped in these false thoughts and we get caught up in false be- or behaviors based on false things. That's why we've been looking at the truth, right? Jesus promises that the truth sets us free from those lies and from the trap of them. Today, the, the lie that we're looking at, it's a little bit different than, than over the, last, the rest of the series where it's been kind of a nice, neat sentence, you know, just one summary. Today, it's really not. And that's because it's, it's less of a, a statement and more of just a general truth. It, it takes on many different shapes, many different forms, but in a, a part of our lives that we encounter in an ongoing daily way. And that's when it comes time to make a decision. Raise your hand if you like salespeople. That's what I thought. Nobody really does, right? And, and if you're in sales, I apologize. I'm not trying to rip you, right? But let's be honest. We don't often like dealing with salespeople. And even people who are in sales often do not because... We don't like having people sell us, right? If you've ever dealt with a salesperson, really the problem is that they start with an end goal in mind, don't they? They want to sell this, and they want to sell it to you. And so they'll offer you products. They'll promise you warranties and guarantees, and this will perform like this, and that'll do that. And it may be even things that they can't back up. They will, they will try to push you on products or features that you don't care about. Because stereotype is, right, they just want to sell. They just want the end result to be you buying. And it doesn't matter what they say as long as that happens. Now, perhaps you tend to do most of your shopping online now so you don't have to do the hassle and haggle of dealing with salespeople. But there's one salesperson, salesman, that you simply cannot get away from, and that's you. You might not like to think of it, but we all have a salesman that lives right here. Think of how many times that you start with what you want as the end result in your head, right? Oh, I really want this now. How can I get there? What if I do this and legitimize this and make this okay and logically break this down? Then, oh, look at that. It's perfect, right? 
then we can get to the want, the end, doesn't really matter the means. Because we've convinced ourselves that this is okay, this is what we should have, this is all right, it doesn't matter how we get there. Let me give you some examples. Let's take exercise. I don't think anyone says exercise is bad. We may not like it, right? But exercise is generally recognized as a good thing. And so, okay, be nice to go out for a run or go to the gym or get a workout in in our basement. But there, what about those days when you, you just don't want to exercise? Do you ever just say to yourself, I just don't want to exercise today and that's okay? Or do you have to know, you know in your heart, I don't want to exercise today, but if I just say that, then I'm going to feel lazy, and I'm going to this, and I'm going to that. So how can I rationalize this? Well, I got out of late, work kind of late today, Ooh, and time is crunched, and I got to make dinner, and da-da-da-da-da. Oh, I just can't do it. And I'll do it tomorrow. It, it's okay. I'll, I'll just put it off. It's not a big deal. <laughs> uh, you know what? I got a little bit of a sniffle, and I'm afraid that if I go and work out, oh, it's going to turn into a full-blown cold, Right? And we come up with these rationalizations and excuses to make ourselves feel better about not doing something we didn't want to do in the first place. Or take your finances. Specifically, things that you want to buy. Because we've all done it, right? This pair of shoes, that article of clothing, this car, that entertainment. Ooh, oh, I just really want it. Oh, I just want it, I want it, I want it. And we figure out a way where it's not so much a want anymore. You know what? I really kind of need that. Because if I say I need it, then it's okay if I bust my budget getting it. And if it's a, a better thing, and if it's a safer thing, and it's going to save me so much more money in the long run, right? Then it's okay if I spend money that I don't actually have on something that I don't actually need, but I can convince myself when all we need to do is say, you know what, the real reason is, I just want it. It's not wrong to want things. And it's not wrong to get things that we want. The danger is when we aren't very honest with ourselves. When we aren't very honest with our own motives, with our own hearts, with our own thoughts, and we, we think we have to convince ourselves like we're convincing someone else, we have to sell ourselves on this end result. And that's, that's where it starts to go wrong. Because, let's be honest, we've all been there, where this thing that I want, the only way I can get there is if I compromise. And whether that's compromising on my personal values or things that I have committed or prioritized to, well, that's kind of unwise, just so that I can get to that thing that I, my heart really wants. And it's not just unwise, it's, it's just flat out wrong. If the only way I can get to that thing that I want is by doing something that is sinful and that goes against God and his word. And that's where it becomes dangerous, where me convincing myself of this, to, that it's okay, that, that the end justifies the means, it's a dangerous thing, and it can be dangerous, especially spiritually. And so... 
Here's our our first point this morning, that when you find yourself having this inner dialogue, this inner conflict, this inner conversation, ooh, but how can I, and you, just stop. Stop and examine your heart for a moment. Think about what, what's my thought? What's my motive? What do I really want and why? And then ask yourself this question. It's our first takeaway this morning. Am I being honest with myself right now? Here's what I want. Is that what I'm telling myself, though? Or am I telling myself something that, you know what, if I had this, then all of these other things would be so much better. If this happened, then, oh, yeah, I definitely should do that. And we start with the end, and we just work backwards to figure out how we can get there. It's okay to say I just want it. But it's important to recognize that and be honest with ourselves. What's the reason that I'm buying this house? What's the reason that I drink too much? What's the reason that I want to move in with my boyfriend or girlfriend? What's the reason that I quit going to church? What's the reason that I'm taking this job? There may be perfectly good ones. But there's also a danger that we've convinced ourselves that the end is the important part and not everything else that leads up to it. And that's why God wants us to recognize when we start to sell ourselves on something to stop, to look at our hearts, to examine themselves, to shine a light on them, right? That's what we just heard Jesus talk about in our scripture reading, to let the light expose the lies where there are lies, not saying they're all lies but to let the light of God's truth shine in our hearts and expose things that we need to have out in the open. Can you relate to this? Or am I the only one who has an inner salesman? I think that this is something we all know, right? We all have this turmoil and conflict when it comes to making decisions. So how do we find freedom? How do we find the truth that sets us free? Well, this morning we have a section from God's Word that it's the story tucked away, an account tucked away in the, the early half of the Bible uh, of, this tr- of this decision that was made that helps us see how making decisions in light of the truth of God's Word, in light of God and His promises, it helps free us from being sold and committing ourselves to doing something that where the end justifies the means. It, it happened way back in, in Israel's history, about 1,000 B.C., to a king before he was a king. And his name was David. Maybe you've heard of him. David became kind of well-known in the Bible and even in modern times because, well, he was famous for fighting a giant. But before David did that, God had sent his prophet, his messenger, to go to David, to David's family, his home, and to anoint, to to set up the next king. There was already a king in place. His name was Saul. But God had already chosen who was going to be the successor. And it was David. Now, this is pretty significant, pretty interesting, and and pretty unusual because generally, if you know anything about kings, who becomes a king after them? 
their son, right? And if they don't have a son, then someone else from their family line, some other royalty. And if really no one else can, can fill the bill, then maybe a trusted general. David's family was none of those things. David was a shepherd boy. But David met the king and gained notoriety when he was unafraid to go and face that giant Goliath. He fought him trusting in God, and he won. And Saul, the current king, made David, put David in his army and made him in charge of, of a portion of his army. And David won many great battles for Saul and, and gave Saul credit and, and for the glory of God. And as David's fame grew and his bravery was known, so too did his popularity grow. And so did Saul's jealousy. To the point where Saul got to hating David wanting to kill David, trying to kill him repeatedly so that David had to flee. He had to go and live with several of his, a number of his faithful men who fought alongside of him and supported him out in the desert wilderness. And finally, Saul got a tip. David is staying in En Gedi. And Saul said, I'm done with this. I'm taking troops and we're going to finish this once and for all. And in the midst of this drama, this made-for-TV suspense, David was faced with a decision that wasn't easy. And it would have been super easy for the end to justify the means. Let's take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 24. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. Here we have one of the only references to something that in the entire Bible. Saul went in to relieve himself, so you get the picture, right? If you are a regular soldier, one of these 3,000 guys with the king, and the, you got to use the restroom, well, you figure it out, but get back in formation. If you're the king, hold up. The king needs some privacy, right? And the king chose some privacy, and it was a cave, the exact cave, in fact, where David and his men were hiding. Now, you might be thinking, ew, gross. But also understand, Saul is alone. Saul has no bodyguards with him. He has no weapons with him. He is vulnerable. Oh, what an interesting set of circumstances, right? Talk about everything just coming together. You ever do that? Where, where it seems like there's a sign Right? And, and you look for a sign to, to justify, to support a decision that you are, are struggling with making. If we really want something, well, we can usually find something that we can call a sign to support it, don't, can't we? And if ever there were a set of circumstances that seemed to be a sign, this was it. And, and those men with David, they thought so too. Look what they say in verse 4. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. They're in the cave. Saul has no idea they're in there. Saul's alone. 
God has promised that David's going to be the king. David, David, this is it. Right? Think of how tempting this would be for these guys, too. These guys have, have not been able to see their families. They've been on the run being hunted because Saul hates David and not because of anything they've done wrong. David, this is it. Here is the chance. Saul comes in king, and you leave as king. Oh, it's perfect. There's going to be no blood. There's going to be no battle, no war. The only person who has to die is just one. Not all the, not all the soldiers, not all the troops, just one guy. And it'll be a transition of power. It'll all work out so great. Oh, perfect. Everything is lined up. Look at the signs, David. Come on. If David wanted to mentally rationalize himself, to convince himself that this was the way to go about getting the throne God had promised him, he had plenty of ammo, doesn't he? And so he takes out his dagger, and he creeps forward, and look what he does. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He did what? This is your chance, David. Everything, the guy's right there. He doesn't even know you did that. You could have killed him. He wouldn't have even known it until it was all done, painless. Weren't all the signs there? Well, David doesn't, didn't really care about signs that may have come from anywhere. Instead, he was concerned about the truth, and specifically the truth of God's word. David knew he could have killed Saul, and he knew that if he did, he'd be free. No more hiding, no more on the run. He could go home. He'd be king. But he also knew what he would have to do and what he'd have to live with afterwards. He knew that God had promised him that he would be the king. But he also knew God had not promised him, not told him, take matters into your own hands. He knew that God had said this would happen someday, but God had not said today is the day. David's men thought that. Absolutely, they thought it. Are you, this is what needs to happen, David. But David, not so much. And while it would be easy to say, well, if I kill him now, then A leads to B and I'll be king. But we don't actually control that, do we? David didn't, and neither do you or I. If, when we take matters into our own hands, when we justify this because I want it, even if I have to get there through sinful means, and we think, well, that'll bring about what I want. Yeah, not so much. I think we probably know that from experience, and David certainly did. And while he knew God had promised he would be king, this is not what God had told him to do. Instead, he knew that he would be remembered as the man who murdered the king. And he wasn't okay with that. So instead, he stood firm on the truth and on God's promises. Take a look at verse 5. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken, not for not killing Saul, but for having cut off a corner of his robe. Now, cutting off a little corner of the robe, it doesn't sound like a big deal, right? Especially when the guy's life is in your hands. And yet, here we see David's heart, don't we? We see his mind. It wasn't focused on what he wanted. It was focused on what God wanted. David's men didn't really understand it. We certainly may not even understand it. David, what's the, what's the big deal? 
And I'm sure that his men were thinking, come on, man. Why are you so bent out of shape about cutting off a little piece of cloth? We, we would just want to go home. David, though, was having none of it. He wasn't going to be swayed because he knew where he stood was safe ground. He knew that his decision, while not easy, was made because of God and his promises. It was made based on the truth, and he was unwilling to compromise truth. That's an important point. Look at what David says to his men. Verse 6, he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. See, here's the point. It's our second takeaway that David understood and that it's important for us to remember God's truth is greater than my reasons. David knew Saul had been put in place by God. And while he wanted to go home and while he wanted to be king and he wanted all these things, what God had done and what God had said and what God had promised was far more important. Can you imagine the tension, though? I mean, these guys are putting their lives on the line for David and here's the chance to end it and he doesn't. And Saul's right there in their, in their grasp, and David literally lets him walk away. And then David goes to the mouth of the cave. And as the Saul and his troops are preparing to leave, here comes a shout. Take a look at verse 8. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king! And Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. As David addressed Saul in front of his 3,000 troops, all of whom were hunting David, David did what? He said, hey, I'm not an innocent guy, but in this matter, may the Lord judge between you and me. In fact, that's literally what he said after this. He explained his decision based on not what was easy, but based on trust. And he trusted this truth, our third takeaway this morning, that the Lord is in control. David knew God had promised he was going to be king, but he didn't know how this was going to play out. He didn't know how long he'd be on the run. He didn't know if he'd be king for one day or a hundred years. David didn't know any of those things. He didn't know what the future held, but David knew who held the future. And he knew what God had promised him. And he trusted that promise. Here's why that's so important. Because we face decisions. Every single day. Some of them are, are small. Some of them are huge and life-changing. And we have this temptation to convince ourselves of things, don't we? 
And the hard part is we heard from Romans 7 that, that what lives in us isn't just, just God the Spirit, but it's this part of us that's sinful, that just wants to do what we want. And there's a danger then that the voice that comes from inside that wants to convince me of what I should do is not necessarily speaking to me what God says. It's not reminding me of God's promises. It's not telling me this is what God, is, God wants for you. Instead, it's this is what you want for you. And realize that when we listen, when we say that, you know what, I'm going to take matters into my own hand. I'm going to listen to what I'm telling myself, even though it compromises God's truth and goes against God's word. Do you know what you're saying? You're saying you know better. And you know better than, than the one who's in control. When you tell God, you know what, God, you may be in control and the author and source of all goodness and happiness, but I know what's best for me and my happiness. Really? When you tell God, you know what, I know what you say, how you tell me I should treat my wife and how I should love my kids and I should love my husband and how I should interact with these people. You know what, God, I know what's best for my family. When it comes time to come to worship, when it comes time to open the Bible for, for time with God, because he says it's so important how often don't we say, you know what, God, I know you say this is important. But I know what's more important. And we put ourselves in the place of God. We say, I am more important than you. I know better than you. But the problem is that we don't. Here's the truth then, our last takeaway. That Jesus is the Lord of my life. And so as I ponder decisions as I face the internal conflict and tension of trying to make a decision, this is a beneficial question to ask. Does my decision reflect that? Let's be honest with ourselves. It's not wrong that we get what we want. It's not wrong to want things. But am I being honest? And when I make a decision, am I doing so in a way that reflects that my Savior is in control? And that I'm trusting that he's going to bring this about to work in a way that is pleasing to him. And it's going to be for my good because he promises that. Where's my heart? What are my motives? What do I really want to get out of this? And who am I serving? Am I making this about me or am I trusting God's got this? God's in control. Jesus is my Lord. Obviously, not every decision that we make has deep spiritual ramifications like whether you choose not to exercise or whether you choose to eat the extra piece of dessert, right? But it's important to recognize and be honest with ourselves so that we be, get in the habit of doing that so that when those decisions come along that do have big, big ramifications, especially spiritual ones, we're not in the habit of believing that inner salesman. A few months after this, you know what happened? Saul was killed, not by David, but by the Philistines. Now, can you imagine if, if David had been in the cave and God had said, in seven, in just seven chapters of the Bible, Saul's going to die. Oh, thank you. That would make the decision so much easier, right? Guys, don't worry. God's got this. It's only going to be a few more months. 
But David didn't know. And yet, he still made the decision based on God's promise, trusting in God's truth. And that's important because we don't know either, do we? We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how this is going to play out. So let's remember the things we do know. Let's trust the promises we have. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is in control. Let's trust that, number one. And then number two, let's trust that the way that plays out is the way that it played out for our Savior during his life on earth. Was there ever a time where Jesus didn't do what was best? When his disciples came to him and said, stop talking about dying. This is seriously hurting our, our ministry opportunities. Nope. In fact, what he said to Peter, who told him that was, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind God's things, but human things. Think of all the times his opposition made it difficult, almost impossible, it seems, from a human perspective, to just keep going. Man, every opportunity, obstacle, and test, and trial. And through it all, our Savior never wavered. He never said, you know what, this is what's best for me. You guys figure out your own mess. Instead, he continued, and he went to the cross. And he went to the cross so that he could take away and make the payment for all of our selfishness, and all of our fears, and all of our worries, and all the times we think we know better, and all the times we wonder and are afraid that God isn't in control, and we don't know how this is going to work out. And he says, I've paid for them all. And in their place, he credits you and me with his perfect obedience, his perfect trust, his perfect life. And he promises us that he is in control and that he has a future planned. And he doesn't tell us what tomorrow brings or what five years from now brings, but he tells us what the future brings and where it always leads for you, dear Christian. And that's to heaven with him. Do you know this? Yep. Do you remember this in times of decision? That's the challenge, isn't it? And so I pray that today, as we wrap up our messages, as we wrap up our series, that, that this is not entirely new information, but that you do take away our questions and that you remember the truths. God is in control. Jesus is the Lord of my life. And so when you're faced with difficult questions, difficult decisions, because they're going to keep coming and the tension will be there, stop and ask. Am I being honest with myself right now? And am I trusting that Jesus is my Lord, that he is in control of this, and that I, I know that he is going to work this out for my good and bring me finally safely home to him? Because it's easy to justify and it's easy to rationalize. And that's why God calls us to trust. To trust in his promises. God bless your efforts. Amen.